Well, if you'll turn uh, with me to your study outline, and as uh, you do that, we want to welcome all of you who are watching online. As I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of something in our culture that can ruin our, our hearts and our homes and even our neighborhoods. Uh, it can take a, a beautiful summer day, let's say. Uh, a summer day that uh, the, uh, the sun is out, the uh, breeze is blowing, and uh, the birds are chirping, and the children are playing, and, and everybody's laughing and just content as they can be. And in an instant, you can turn that contentment into discontent. What is it that could have such a negative effect on our, our hearts and our, our neighborhoods? It's the ice cream truck. Right? You know what I'm talking about. The, the, the sound comes blaring into your neighborhood and those children that were playing and so content, as happy as could be, and they hear that music and suddenly they have this passion to possess something that they don't need and they can't afford. And they're, and they're discontent. Suddenly, in an instant, they're discontent. Well, I, I believe that all of us uh, still have uh, a reaction to the uh, ice cream truck in our lives. It may not be that uh, we hear that music and it's the, uh, it has the same effect and give us, gives us those cravings, but we all have something in our lives, some buttons that get pushed that in an instant can push us into passion to possess something and, and turn contentment into discontentment. And I don't know what it is for you, but I know for me, uh, just in these, uh, these past days, it has been my smartphone. You see, um, a year ago, uh, I, I, we went into the Verizon store and I had my upgrade and I, I, I came out of that store with my, my new smartphone and I was so content. You know, my first venture into smartphones and so all the capabilities, although I've only gotten probably use of a half of them over the last year. And so, so I'm, I'm feeling content. In, in fact, in our family, we had uh, four of us who had cell phones and only two of us had smartphones. So I was in the haves, not the have-nots. So, you know, feeling really content until about two weeks ago. So uh, two weeks ago, our, our, our son Caleb first had been saving up, and he had an upgrade. And so he went into the Verizon, I went into the Verizon store with him, and we came out with a, a bag. And that bag had a, a new iPhone for him. And, and then uh, our daughter uh, had been saving up too. And then just Friday, we went back into the Verizon store, and, uh, and she came out with that brand new uh, iPhone herself. And so, you know, as we're coming out of the Verizon store on Friday, I realized I looked at my smartphone and I wasn't looking at it the same way I was two weeks before that. <laughs> suddenly I wasn't so content and suddenly, you know, what was in that bag for them, uh, that uh, hearing about all that it could do and seeing that, suddenly I, I just, he needed to possess that to really be content. And this is what the 10th commandment is all about. If uh, Exodus 20 verse 17, we'll put it up here and if you'll read it aloud with me. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. For the nation of Israel, when it came to coveting, when it came to that passion to possess, when it came to that discontentment, it focused on these things, an ox or a donkey. Now, that's probably not where most of us get our buttons pushed today. Uh, it would be in lots of different areas. Maybe it is the latest phone or technology. Or maybe it's when a, a coworker drives up in a brand new car, the one you've always dreamed of. 
Or maybe you go over to someone's house and their house is so much bigger than yours or, or furnished with such nice furniture or they have the latest uh, decked out with a home entertainment system that you dream of. Or maybe it's the newest fall fashions. The 10th commandment, wherever it is, whatever the buttons are for, for you and whatever they are for me, the 10th commandment warns us about that passion to possess. God warns us, you shall not covet. What does it mean to covet? Coveting is an all-encompassing compulsion to possess something. An all-encompassing compulsion to possess something. You see, it's not merely the act of admiring something. God has wired us to appreciate beauty or craftsmanship or, or the functionality of something that is created uh, either by him or, or by, uh, by human hands. He's given us that, that sense of appreciation. And, and as he's a creator, he, he gives us that uh, appreciation for things that are created. But there's a difference between appreciating those things and coveting. And the difference would be uh, when we appreciate something, we say things like, I, I, I like that. And isn't that beautiful? When we covet, we say, I need to have that. I, I have to possess that. That's the difference between coveting and appreciating. So let's talk about two sides of coveting. The first one is, I want it all. I want it all. Never in the history of civilization have people been pushed to possess as much as we are today. Uh, billions of dollars each year are spent on marketing research to get us to want it all. Thousands of the the best and the brightest professionals spend their working and their waking hours coming up with ideas of how uh, to push those buttons so that we'll purchase what they're after. They use music and slogans and sights and sounds and colors and all those things to to stimulate that passion to possess. They'll uh, trigger emotions uh, uh, like uh, fear and nostalgia and jealousy and uh, um, sexual desires. Anything they can push those intense emotional buttons. Anything they can do so that they can get us just for an instant uh, to, uh, to shut off our self-control enough so that we'll want to obtain whatever it is they're trying to sell. In short, they're tempting us to covet. And advertising is not the only place in our culture where this happens. Often uh, business owners or supervisors or managers will, will use the same thing to, to get uh, the, the employees to, to produce. Uh, whether it's salespeople or people in production, uh, they, can, they can dangle those in, in enticements out to them so that it will up their productivity or their, their profits. Uh, they'll even encourage you to, to, to take a photo or to, uh, to uh, put it on your refrigerator, on your bulletin board of that, uh, that, that Caribbean cruise. You know, take a photo of that or, or the, the uh, luxury car or the, the huge bonus and, and put that on your refrigerator or on your bulletin board or on your mirror in your bathroom so that it, it's on your mind all the time and it reminds you uh, to pursue, to be motivated uh, for these uh, profits and these possessions. Now, obviously, not all incentive programs are bad. In fact, they're, they're good. They get us to, to have goals and move towards in a direction in, in an organization. But when those incentives uh, cause us to fixate on something so much, that passion to possess so much that we ignore our values and the biblical standards, it becomes destructive to our personal and spiritual and family lives. The I want it all mindset creates a discontent that's, that's like a disease. The disease of discontent that infects us and it just eats away at all of our joy and all of our contentment. 
That disease takes a a fine-running five-year-old car and suddenly uh, it's an embarrassment to us and we've got to get one with more style to keep up with someone else. It's that same uh, disease when it strikes that that we, we don't have anything to wear even though our closet is stuffed full of clothes. Whatever it is, we get infected with that disease. And, and it's ironic that we live in this prosperous, the most prosperous nation in all of human history. And yet we have this, this need for more, this disease of discontent, the, the monster of more. Just one more purchase, just, just one more promotion, just one more decimal point on my salary. Bill Hybels in his book on the Ten Commandments says, How much money do you need to make you happy? The answer is the same for everyone. Just a little more than I have. In contrast to that mindset, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts, underline those words, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, underline those words, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Coveting sets our our hearts and our minds on earthly things and gets us off focusing on the things above, on the things of Christ. Coveting in this disease of of, uh, all, I want it all, when it infects us, it can uh, sabotage all of our convictions. When we covet, it's easy for us to uh, abandon or disobey God's commands. It's easy for us to abandon the values that we live by. And suddenly we uh, get focused on those things so much that our health suffers. Or we neglect our our spouse or our family. Or we we begin to abuse other people or to step over them to get where we want to get. Or we even lie or cheat to obtain that possession that we want. And when our convictions get sabotaged like that, we begin to to neglect our relationship with Christ. We no longer have the time or the the passion to spend time alone in in prayer and reading God's word. We don't have time to to serve or to minister, as as Pastor Sean was talking about. We we no longer have the resources to, to be generous to the church or to those who are in need because all of our resources are tied up to that that passion to possess. And this is why our our loving Heavenly Father gives us the 10th commandment. The passion to possess that I want it all mentality will will destroy us and our relationships and our families. I want it all, that covetous life and how it destroys us. The second side of coveting is I want yours. Coveting is is a destructive sin no matter where it shows up in our lives. But when the object of our passion belongs to someone else, as as the 10th commandment points out, when it says uh, your neighbor's wife or their servant or his ox or his donkey, then the sin gets even more destructive. Because when we covet something that is you know, out there and available to be obtained, um, that usually affects us and our relationship with God and maybe the relationship to those closest to us. But when we, when we uh, covet something that someone else uh, holds on to or someone else owns, then it's destructive in our relationship with them and it affects more and more people, a wider circle. And this can begin at an early age. Think about it. Uh, maybe you're a part of a, a sports team or a, 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 in a play or in a, in a choir group. And, and in that group, there's the star performers, and you're not one of them. You know, you're on the bench or you're in the background, a very small role. How easy it is uh, for us to, to begin to think, you know, if, if that person only gets injured or gets sick, I could be in that position, right? 
You know, it's so easy to start thinking that way. And, and what, think about what happens to the relationship then, you know, uh, or, the, or the team concept that when we, whenever we see that person, our thought is, I want your position. And it affects us and it eats away at our contentment. And what about uh, coveting at work? You know, it's, it's easy to, uh, to be in a, a place and it's, it's, it's great for us to want to move up and to, to get in another position in our, in our work. But, but what happens when we, when we kind of cross the line and we start to think, you know, if that person only fails in this thing, if they, if they miss a deadline or, or miss a, 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 a target that they're supposed to hit, then maybe I can have that position. It's, it's great to want to wanna move up in the position, to work hard, all those things. But, but there's a fine line that we cross when we go from just wanting to, to uh, move into another position to wanting to scheme to take someone else's job. We can also begin to covet someone else's spouse or someone else's children or somebody else's parents. We begin to, to have this comparison thing going on. And we even flirt with the idea of, you know, my life would be better if I could just trade places with them. And sometimes we even destroy those relationships by, by verbalizing those kinds of comparisons. Coveting what belongs to another is, is um, whether it's an object or a relationship, it's, it's serious for two reasons. The first reason is that it, it expresses a lack of love for our neighbor or for our uh, loved one or for our friend, our coworker. And uh, Jesus died for us to redeem us so that we would live a life as his children uh, that would be very different from that, where we would express love. Clearly, that's not the way God intended us to live and to love. And the second reason that uh, coveting is, is so serious is that when we covet somebody else's possessions, it unmasks our dissatisfaction with God, our, our distrust of him. We, we, we're saying to God, you know, you really haven't been fair. I deserve a better job or a better house or a better position. I kind of got shortchanged here, God. So, you know, could you give me more so that things could get fair here? You owe me something better. Well, we wouldn't verbalize those things most often to God. But every time we have a covetous thought or every time we act on those thoughts and covetous actions, that's the kind of uh, statement that we're making to God. Hebrews Chapter 13, verse 5, is a familiar verse and a a powerful promise that many of us cling to at times uh, when things get tough, especially, where we read God's promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The thing is that, that when we look at that promise and we cling to it and we put it on our bulletin boards and all those things, most often we don't connect it. Look at the first part of that verse. We don't realize that it's linked to the first part of the verse where it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. See, this is the the core of the 10th commandment. The 10th commandment is all about our our trust in God's presence and his provision and his power in our lives. When we covet, we deny those things about God. And when we are content, it's the result of living in the the trust of, of God's promises and his presence in our lives. So what's the secret to the contented life? Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned. Underline the word learn there. To be content. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned. Underline that word again. The secret of being content In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty 
or in want. There's so much that Paul says here, but Paul is first reminding us that contentment is not something that's just passive. Contentment isn't something you get by winning the lottery. Contentment isn't something you just kind of stumble upon. It's not something that's just given to you. Contentment, uh, Paul says, I've learned to be content. I've actively pursued learning to be content. And the second thing we see that Paul makes clear is that it's not based on our circumstances. As opposed to everything the world tells us and all those marketing experts uh, design things to, to tell us, it's not based on circumstances. He said, whether I'm, I'm well-fed or hungry, in plenty or in want. Contentment is not a destination. It's not, uh, contentment isn't where I am or contentment isn't where I'm trying to get, but contentment is a matter of traveling. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of traveling on that journey. And so what are the keys to learning the secret of that manner of traveling, of, of learning to be content. I want to talk about uh, four keys uh, to living that contented life. The first one is, if I, if I would choose one word to express uh, the key to contentment, the first word I'd choose is the word enough. Enough. George Bernard Shaw wrote, Money is worth nothing to the person who has more than enough. You see, the covetous life focuses on what we do not have in a belief that somehow we've been shortchanged or, or God hasn't given us enough yet. That's, that's the, the covetous life, but the contented life focuses on what we do have, on what we do have, and whether we're well-fed or hungry, whether we're living in plenty or in want. That's not the, the focus, but re- the contented life focuses on what we do have And that it is enough. God has given us everything we need. As followers of Jesus, the truth is that you and I already possess everything we need for contentment. We have enough. There's a great illustration of this that I was reading this week. William Randolph Hearst invested a a fortune collecting art treasures from around the world. And one day, Mr. Hurst read the description of a valuable art item. And he just had to have that item. And so he sent his agent abroad to find it. After months of searching, the agent reported that he had finally found the treasure. Where did he find it? To the surprise of Mr. Hurst, he already owned the priceless masterpiece, and it was sitting in one of his warehouses. He spent money and and months and miles searching for for something that he already possessed. It isn't that an accurate picture, though, of the, the treasure of contentment? We, we spend money and, and, and months and, and miles searching after that the contentment, but we already possess everything we need for contentment. The second word that we would uh, use as a key for contentment is gratitude. Something that has stood out to me, if you've been here this summer uh, for some of the weeks of the Ten Commandments series, or, or maybe all of the weeks, as I have, After going through this series of Ten Commandments, one thing that stood out to me was that in some way I have violated every one of those Ten Commandments, especially as Jesus describes them. And so I was reminded that that as I uh, try to live a life uh, worthy of God, I fall short miserably of God's commands. And so when I look at that, uh, what I deserve in life is God's wrath. That's what I deserve. But what do I get? In Jesus Christ, I receive forgiveness and his grace and salvation and eternal life. I I have been given health and a home and a family and friends. I've been given his presence to be with me to face everything I face in life. 
And when I begin to see these things as they really are, instead of being preoccupied with, with having more and more and more, instead of being focused on what I don't have, I begin asking the question, why do I have all that I have? Why do I have everything I do have? And, and it fills me with a sense of gratitude. The answer to that question of why do I have everything I have is because we have a God who, who loves to give his children great gifts that we don't deserve. One of my favorite passages in Scripture for my own life and to share with people, especially when they're, they're concerned or, or in times of need, is Philippians 4, verse 6, where we read, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're watch, reading along carefully, you notice that I actually left out two words when I read it. And the reason I did that is because as I have tried to live this verse out, I think I've always been leaving those two words out. Because I, I have claimed the, the truth and I've seen the truth that, that when we're anxious or we have needs, we can cry out to God and present our request to God and he can give us a peace that no one else can give us. That's all true. But what, what I've, when I've left out those words, it says, uh, pour out your request to God with thanksgiving. And without those two words, we miss the, the whole point of the, the passage. Because the passage isn't telling us, if you cry out to God when you're in need and you ask him for all that stuff, then he's going to give it to you and that's going to make you at peace. Instead, we, we pour out our hearts to God with thanksgiving and recognition of everything that he's given to us. And when we pour our hearts out to God in that way, with hearts full of gratitude, with thanksgiving, then a peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's the key to a contented life rather than a covetous life. And those who study happiness in our culture today come to these same conclusions. You see a quote there from Dennis Prager in his book, Happiness is a Serious Problem. He says, all happy people are grateful. Ungrateful people cannot be happy because gratitude is the key to happiness Anything that undermines gratitude will undermine happiness. The third key is, is open hands. Job one twenty one says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the Lord, name of the Lord be praised. These are Job's words, and, and Job was able to, to state these truths. Job was able to worship the Lord even when everything he owned was taken from him. Even when everyone he loved was taken from him. Why was he able to do that? Because he handled everything that God gave to him. As God poured out blessings to him, he handled those with, with open hands so that when God chose to take those back, he was able to live in freedom and willingly let go. Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 30, where he says, those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of this world, and underline these words, should not become attached to them. Should not become attached to them, for this world as we know it will soon pass away. A covetous person always wants more, and when we, when we grasp it, we, we want to hold on to it with tight fists because we're afraid we're, we're going to lose it. The contented person is satisfied with what they have, and when God pours out blessings, we receive them with open hands so that we can live in peace and freedom and contentment. Open hands, and then the, the final key is open arms. The contented person not only has open hands, but open arms to embrace 
those around us when it's time to rejoice, to embrace those around us when it's time to weep with them. We read that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul describes the body of Christ and he says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You see, the contented person is free to rejoice that that per- with that person, uh, with that person who just drives up in the dream car that we wanted with that person who just got the position that we wanted, with that person who, who is in that place that we want to be, we're able to, to have open arms to embrace them and rejoice with them. If, if you're uh, coveting, then you're only able to respond to those kinds of things with anger and, and bitterness and, and envy. And yet when we're contented, we're able to respond to those with open arms and rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those, even if it's a person who's in a position that they fall out of because of something that bad that comes into their life. We're able to, instead of rejoicing over that, we, we, we surround them, we, we embrace them, identify with them, and we uh, care for them in their loss. The covetous life dreams of taking. The contented life dreams of sharing. The covetous life is, is all about uh, obtaining and holding on with tight fists and, and keeping it close to us because we fear others are going to take it away from us. The contented life is receiving from God with open hands and reaching out with open arms to embrace and rejoice and weep with those God has given us in relationships. The 10th commandment reminds us that the ice cream truck is going to show up in all of our neighborhoods uh, with delivering the disease of discontent, pushing us into that passion to possess. The question is not if, but but when and where is it going to happen for you? And the question that you and I need to ask when, when that uh, ice cream truck shows up in our life is, are we going to buy it? The 10th commandment, our Heavenly Father who creates us, warns us in the 10th in the commandment, don't buy it. Don't covet. Instead, live a contented life. Crave contentment. Live uh, in freedom. Live in gratitude. Live with open hands and open arms. Live free. Live content. We're going to close out our, our time in worship today with a celebrating of, of the Lord's Supper together. And this is a time of, of thanksgiving. It's a time of, of gratitude to remember what, what Christ has given us, what he did for us through the cross. And it's a, as we give thanks, it's a time where, where you can use these moments to respond to what God is saying to you about this 10th commandment. Respond to him as he leads you into a life of greater contentment. Take these moments as we prepare our hearts to follow what he's speaking to you this morning.